Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast, season one. This podcast is about erasing shame through honest talk for healthy living, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and personally. Visit our website at erasingshame.com for links to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe on iTunes and YouTube. Now, let's have an honest talk for healthy living. Welcome to another episode of the Erasing Shame podcast. This is episode number four of season one. And on this episode, we'll be talking about feeling worthless. My name is DJ Chuang, and I'm joined with my co-host, Eunice Lee. Hi. And hello. Good to see you again. Good to see you. And I'm traveling uh, uh, tonight, and so I'm recording from Nashville, Tennessee. And Eunice lives somewhere in the 626, as they affectionately call it, there in, um, in the L.A. area. And so uh, as we talk about erasing shame, let's start uh, review and uh, start with the definition, and then we'll get into our topic tonight. Sure. Um, yeah, so we're kind of working off of this definition by Brene Brown, um, which is that guilt is a feeling you have when you've done something wrong. And shame is, a feel, is the feeling that you are wrong or you are the mistake. And particularly in this podcast, as we talk about honest talk for healthy living, um, DJ, you and I are both Asian Americans, so we know what that shame looks like, not just in our American context, but also in our Asian American context, um, which is because the community is so close-knit and because it always feels like everyone knows the reputation is very important and saving face is very important. There's another element of shame, which is that you have to make sure you don't shame your family. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And I think it's really important to talk about this topic, particularly, which is feeling worthless, because I think shame can draw us into that worthless feeling, and it can also um, exacerbate it, make it and um, make it feel bigger. Um, So yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about um, how we all live a story. Um, So can share a little bit about my, for my, myself um, growing up as one of the few Asian Americans in my town. Um, I, I felt very deeply, I felt very other, um, starting from kindergarten, when people asked when I came to this country, all the way up until I, I left for college. Um, and that's the story that I think is part of my story that I've lived throughout, um, throughout my life is, is feeling other and feeling um, sometimes not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those, those, that's not an unfamiliar experience. I think a lot of us as Asian Americans have that dual identity, and it causes us to feel, um, to feel like we don't have a place to belong. And that can definitely add to the worthlessness, that feeling yeah. of worthlessness. Yeah, and that happens to be the uh, topic of our previous episode, feeling like you don't belong anywhere. But uh, on this episode, we want to drill down a little bit more about the feeling uh, worthless or feeling less than worthy of love, to use Brene Brown's um, description of what shame does to us. And um, that, that can be a very isolating place. And as, as it gets um, worse, it, it could even feel like, um, oh, I lost my train of thought, but it can, uh, it can feel like, um, well, you're, you're isolated and, and self-harm. It can move towards self-harm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, 
I was um, listening to another podcast and they were uh, describing uh, a theory from Carl Jung that we all live out a story that we really don't know because we have some things that come from our nature that we're born with genetically. So there are things that are in our life in an, our personal narrative that comes from our ancestors. And then there are some things that come from our family of origin, uh, which you might call uh, nurture. So there's things that come from nature genetically. There's some things that come from nurture. And then there's things that come from our life experience. So going through school, like you mentioned, growing up in a certain neighborhood, going to a certain university and living in a certain neighborhood when you grow up and who you marry. And so all these things shape our narrative. And because we're in the middle of the story, just like a fish is in the middle of water, we can't really see uh, everything that's happening uh, mm -hmm. in us and around us. And so what's helpful as we interact with people, and then especially if we interact with people in a trusted community of safe relationships, then we can begin to see our blind spots and we can begin to see that we're worth more than what we think of in and of ourselves. We tend, most of us tend to be pretty hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's not just an Asian or Asian American experience. That's a human experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, as we talk about, I think, I think we all experience that feelings, those feelings of worthlessness. Um, particularly when I was thinking about this though, um, when you mentioned, nurture that kind of uh, piqued my interest because there's been this trend in the last 10 years of kind of revealing this tiger parent mentality or this tiger mm. mom mentality in the Asian community. And when I was growing up, we didn't, obviously, that's not the language that was used. It was more this idea of pushing a child to their limit so they could go to that Ivy League or they could play that instrument perfectly. And it was considered kind of an act of service to the child. Um, but a lot of messages that tiger parents give their kids, you know, is they're really trying to motivate them by um, not really approving of them um, and taking too much ownership over their successes. Um, so that can really, uh, that can really impact in a part the way that a child sees themselves. Cause I was, I was chatting with um, someone who comes from a really prominent family where their, their parent, uh, their mom was a tiger mom and just very invested and very, um, uh, you know, very obsessed with her success. And she told me that she felt like every time she succeeded, like she got into a great school and she did great at violin, every time um, it was almost like the community uh, attributed that to her mom's success. Mm. But then her first time failing, which was way later in life, her she not only failed, but her mom actually said to her, why would you do that to me? Mm. And so there's this whole community aspect too of when we were growing, grown up feeling like we have these messages that we're not good enough or we're, we're worthless or we're not worthy of love. And then that gets confirmed, unfortunately, in, um, in too many of our, our childhood experiences. Yeah, and it's not just childhood. It can become such a um, identity for some of us that our performance or our values is only in what we can do or what we can produce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the, the truth is we have value in just being alive and being human. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes it's hard to see that or to feel that. But I think as uh, a person moves toward healthy living, uh, part of that is to recognize that we have innate worth for just being and not for what we can do. 
Yeah. I think that, um, I actually wonder, and maybe you can speak into this, if that's even a new idea, that idea of innate worth, because I feel like that, that comes up a lot now. Um, but you know, in, um, for, for some of us that came from families that were very performance oriented, um, which is kind of a fancy word for saying that they felt like they were only worthy when they, they did well. Um, that wasn't really the case. And so I wonder if you feel like that's a new idea or that's something that's been around for a while. Um, well, in, in some ways there's nothing new under the sun that the human condition has been around for thousands of years. But I think with each generation and each uh, major change in technology mm-hmm. that um, the way we process life uh, takes on a different flavor. Yeah. And uh, actually to be, to be fair, uh, the conversation that we're having now probably was not a part of the discussion that people had 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. The, the development of science and the understanding of our personal identity and personal worth and human rights and social justice and the ideas of belonging and psychology and all these kind of things um, were not developed mm-hmm. until recent history. Yeah. And so in that sense, it hasn't been part of the human history for uh, very long. It's been mm-hmm. here for a handful of generations. But um, uh, so in that sense, it's, it's, uh, it's new, but in, in the span of um, the past couple hundred years, it's, it's not new. Yeah. Uh, just that we're finding new language for it and culture mm-hmm. is always changing. So um, over, you know, from generation to generation changing. So I, I think we're learning some new things about how we, uh, where, how we find worth and how we uh, attribute worth. Yeah. Honor the sanctity of life is a very common debate now over the past 30 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, How, how, how much of a quality of life do you have to have in order to be worthy of your humanness? Yeah. Yeah. And so it does raise all kinds of ethical and uh, moral issues now. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, within the scope of, one of our episodes, we want to talk about it on a more personal level yeah. so that we can help people move towards health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I was thinking about um, what kind of messages that we receive, um, like particularly I used to work with domestic violence um, yeah. victims and on average, a woman goes back seven times if, to her abuser before leaving wow. for good. Um, and sometimes they're not just physical barriers or threats. Sometimes it's just the emotional barrier of feeling like it's not going to get any better. Um, and it was safe and it was, um, I mean, as in they knew what to expect. Um, and so I think about that and I wonder what kind of messages go through their head that, um, allows them to go back. So what kind of, um, you know, we talk about story we talk about these messages that kind of, Mm -hmm. um, not, not feeling worthy of love. So what kind of uh, messages do you think are, are popping up in people's heads as they, they begin to process their feelings of worthlessness. Well, let me um, interact with what you just shared. So maybe for someone who's going through uh, domestic abuse, uh, they, they go back to a bad situation because they know what to expect. And at least they have someone that they can go home to. Yeah. And the fear of not knowing, not knowing where to go, 
and the fear of the unknown uh, keeps them stuck in that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, and some, some of that is related to, well, uh, at least I get some, some kind of uh, worthiness in that place, even though I'm abused. Mm-hmm. And if I were to leave that, I would really feel worthless. Yeah. Because I would be disconnected. Um, but on a personal level, um, I also think we have old tapes uh, playing in our head. And I know I'm dating myself, 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 that self, back in that. And it's all digital and there's what's tapes, right? But, um, we have <laughs> I think these I those. Yeah. thoughts. <laughs> we have these thoughts that go through our head. And whether it's when we're listening to someone talk and trying to think of what to say back or we're daydreaming, thinking about something that um, is, is um, on our mind when we're in the middle of a lecture or watching a movie. Uh, I, I know uh, for me, uh, a lot of the thoughts that come through my head is, oh, I should have done this or, or I should have done that. Mm-hmm. Or even with this podcast, uh, after I finish recording, I'm like, oh, when we were talking about that story, I should have responded this way or that way instead. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things that I found helpful is I've been to a support group and support groups are places where people come together around a common struggle or a common issue and they create a safe and trusted place where people can share confidentially about their struggle with whatever that issue is. Mm-hmm. And I'll go ahead and mention the, the support group was for depression and anxiety, which is something I struggle with. And the facilitator encourages us to say, uh, don't should on yourself. <laughs> so instead of, instead of saying, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that, uh, replace that with I'm going to try. Mm. So the next time I, forget to, I forgot to say something or I just stuttered, uh, I'm going to try and mm-hmm. say it better. Yeah. That's great. I really like that because it gives an opportunity to learn rather than um, kind of regretting. Um, And I I think I I see that a lot. I like the idea, like, don't should yourself. Because I I see that um, a lot when particularly young people these days, they want to, and myself included, you know, like when you, you mess up or you trip and then you feel bad about it. And then there's a lot of anxiety about feeling bad. And then that anxiety about feeling bad makes you feel worse. And then it goes on and on. And so, um, you know, there's, so even in the subject of like, what is it, like this idea of feeling worthless and how that attributes to anxiety and depression. And then when we're, we've, we're depressed or we feel anxious, then we feel like we shouldn't be those things. And then we keep going and going and going. And um, that it, it gets really hard to pull ourselves out of that um, spiral. Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot. Yeah, another uh, example I thought of was, uh, sometimes I give uh, lectures or do workshops where I have to do a presentation. And sometimes after that session, uh, they give out feedback forms and um, the students or the attendees get to write down their reviews mm-hmm. of how I did. Mm-hmm. And I still have a very difficult time to read those reviews because uh, the, the feedback and what people say about how I did still mm-hmm. stings too much. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time being objective with uh, taking those comments, especially the negative ones as, Hey, you did uh, 
the way I think of it is, oh, you missed this, you missed this, and you could have been clear on this point, and you should have not used that story. Mm-hmm. Instead of think, taking that as helpful feedback, in, uh, I would say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so bad, I shouldn't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. The better way to think about it is, hey, you did pretty good, and here are a few more tips that would have made it great. Mm-hmm. You see how that makes such a difference in how we yeah. receive the same information? Yeah. And it's a funny thing about our human uh, situation that a lot of us, when we hear nine people say good things about us and one person say the bad thing, mm-hmm. we remember the one bad thing. Yeah, totally. And even in social media, right? You get 10 good comments and one person says something a little negative. Yeah. Remember that one and you forget the nine. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I know. And it's, um, the social media is interesting because even as we talk about, um, oh, well, I'm glad these conversations about erasing shame are, are happening or about our innate worth as a person, you know, are, are happening. Um, but then we also post on social media and we post pictures of our successful lives and, um, or we, they've actually correlated that going on Facebook and the comparison is, um, is it leads to more depression and people feeling mm. like they're, they haven't, Live, they have fear of missing out or FOMO or they, they feel like they're not living their best life. And it just gets, um, it adds to that feeling of worthlessness rather than subtracting from it. Um, so I know for myself, you know, I post something on social media and see how many likes I get and just check in. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I hope I'm not alone in that because I feel like that's pretty common. Um, pretty yeah. common. You know. We can, I mean, we can uh, literally connect that people's uh, people feel like they're worthless if they don't get enough likes mm-hmm. or they don't get enough comments or they don't get enough shares. Yeah. And when they get tens and hundreds of them, they feel like they're worth more. Mm-hmm. And that number is kind of jumping out at you and um, visualizing what's already going on inside of you. Yeah. But I think we can change that. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's think about how we can change that story and help us to recognize that we are valuable and worthy of love. How do we erase that shame? Yeah, well, I think, um, I think in that movie, The Help, have you seen that? The Help? The Help. It was from maybe no. five years ago. Oh, it's about, um, um, it's, about um, it's, it's about a black woman who is a nanny for a little white girl, and then their mm-hmm. kind of community. And um, I think it takes place in the 60s, um, and they're kind of fighting for their own rights. Um, and one of the things she always says to the little girl who she takes care of, the little white girl whose um, mom kind of ignores her, is that she says, um, you is smart, you is kind, you is important. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And my friends and I will kind of joke sometimes about that. <laughs> like, we'll say that to each other. Like, don't forget, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. Um, but in, in all reality, that's kind of the um, what we're going for. And um, I, I think that what I love about that part is that it's not – that person saying that little girl saying to herself, she has to have another person in her life tell her those things from a young age to make it true. Um, so how do we get out of these negative spirals? I think that so much has to do with is authentic, healthy, um, real relationships. Mm. And part of the reason is because these stories are actually birthed, you know, these tapes or these messages are actually birthed from relationship. Believe it or not, it, it's not necessarily that it's just something that we 
we kind of woke up and decided one day that we weren't good enough and we were worthless. Uh, we were worthless. Um, it started very young with the first relationship we had, which was with our mom and um, mm-hmm. our caregiver. And there's so much research um, in the mother infant um, realm about that attachment between mm-hmm. the newborn who can only see 24 inches or maybe 12 inches away from their mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. And the mother, because that's the that's the distance between the mother's face and the baby's face, and so so much of that a, a child's worth in that point is about that emotional attachment with the mom. Mm-hmm. And so obviously parenting is tiring, and we do miss our kids a lot, and we forget to to care for them in that way. Um, and so along the way, kids end up getting these messages that you're you know, mom and dad are too busy, or you're not really worth our time. Mm. Or if you got an A in school, we get go and, you know, take off work and give you ice cream, but you got a C. And so instead, we're going to tell you that you're not trying hard enough. And so, and especially um, with immigrant parents who have sacrificed so much to, to give their kids a better life, that seems like a luxury that doesn't seem like an essential part. Mm-hmm. So one of the things with the whole tiger mom, um, when all the articles were coming out, is that this one guy shared how he went to an Ivy League school, but he still felt so broken inside. And he said that would that's something that no degree will ever buy back for me, mm-hmm. is that feeling of worthlessness. Because mm-hmm. even from a young child in, in those relationships, he was told, be good enough, be good enough, be good enough, and mm-hmm. never told that he, as a person, was good enough. And when he finally got to that point, you know, that, that place in life where he got the really good degree and he still didn't feel it. He was still looking for external things to tell him that he was worth it. Mm. And so um, in this, the story, so how do, how do we get rid of these old plate, plate tapes? Well, we have to replace them with new ones. Mm. And that requires a relationship, an external person, whether that's a support group or a community or a therapist or a counselor that can tell us first so that we they, we can start to own that for ourselves in that process in that relationship, because um, mm. I tell my clients this because I'm a therapist. I tell them that mm-hmm. it's my job isn't to tell them that they're worthy, but that I my job is to help them own that themselves. Um, so it starts in relationship. I really do believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you as you're describing that it, the human development from birth to childhood to adulthood. Uh, we we become who we are, not just physically because of our parents birthing us physically. We're also shaped uh, mentally and emotionally from the people around us uh, telling us and helping us experience life. Because mm-hmm. none of us grow up knowing how to talk. None of us know up, grow up knowing how to read. Mm-hmm. And we have to learn that from someone else. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, we, we learn our own story because of other people, mm-hmm. and I read this quote, that you can't really see yourself without someone else describing mm-hmm. what they're seeing about you or in you or what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have eyes in the back of my head, so I've never seen the back of my head. <laughs> you just have to trust that someone will give you a correct description of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think that that kind of reflection is so important. Um, like the reflection from another human being um, and not just always from ourselves or even, you know, if, if you have a spiritual background, then, you know, a spiritual being, um, whether that's, you know, God or whatever, but um, mm-hmm. there, there has, there is some relational aspect to this healing. Um, 
So I think that these messages are like some of these messages, like we're, we're not worthy of love. We're not worthy to be safe emotionally or physically um, because we could have the best parents in the world. And then something really tragic happens Mm. like, you know, like a, like a death or a school shooting Mm. or, you know, war. Um, My parents grew up during the Korean war and Mm. not a lot of good parenting could ever mend what happened to them psychologically in that time. Um, And so we start to get these tapes. And so the, the only way to really experience something different is to first know our story and then to start to experience something different. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my own experience, I found counseling or working with a therapist uh, has been very helpful for me to develop a healthier story mm-hmm. uh, because of my own personality and because of my own background, I've had a bias towards feeling uh, sad mm-hmm. or feeling worthless by default. And uh, it's taken me some work uh, on myself with the help of a professional uh, counselor to mm-hmm. reframe my story and reinterpret my life experience in a way that is healthier for me emotionally as well as mentally, and also pick up some good habits to become a part of my life. So for mm-hmm. example, I'm, I'm eating healthier and I'm exercising in a more regular way than I used to. Yeah, that's great. I'm really glad. Um, I think I think counseling is helpful for for anyone. I would recommend it to anyone because there's so much uh, richness in being able to have that space to talk about our story and form it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, and one of the things I've learned in going counseling, it's actually good for personal improvement, much better than a self help book. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> when I'm reading a book, we're just talking with ourselves and we're interpreting the words with our own story again and just reinforcing it. Yeah. Whereas if you're talking to someone else, they're going to be able to hear the things that you can't hear yourself. Mm-hmm. And they're going to uh, see you uh, as you are in the outside mm-hmm. rather than just how uh, when you're alone, you just see the same old thing in your old self. We have, we tend to have the same patterns and we tend to, tend to have mm-hmm. the same blind spots yeah. until something, something happens in our life to change. Yeah. But it, but it's a challenging place to go because there is a shame about going yes. to counseling. Yeah. Uh, as a counselor yourself, do you notice that some people react to you when you tell them that you work in counseling? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I do. I just had a cousin um, come from Korea mm-hmm. um, actually yesterday. And um, I, so I was asking her about mental health in Korea and things like that. And I explained... I'm a therapist and my Korean is terrible. So I had to explain it in very broken English, but um, she had it. I think she had an idea. I couldn't really tell. I think she had an idea of what I did. Um, and so I asked her a few questions about Korea and their view of mental health. And she said, well, in Korea, it's not very common because when you um, say you go to counseling, you're saying that you're mentally weak, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, which was, which was, um, and she said that the younger generation, she's 20 and the younger generation is a little bit more open and her university, she goes to the top university, women's university in Korea. They have a mentorship program to help people kind of process. Um, but yeah, I've definitely gotten some reactions of, of, um, not really understanding what I do. Um, and we'll probably touch on this in a later time, but also people that think I'm almost like a emotional shaman, like that I can read them. <laughs> Or I can tell yeah. them 
yeah, like, oh, so I have people like, oh, can you tell me about my family issues immediately? And I say, no, I can't do that. (laughs) But there's definitely um, kind of like a mystery around therapy. Um, And that's what I think we're here to help demystify is that it's not always this kind of of weird uh, experience. (laughs) It's almost like you're a mind reader. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what people... (laughs) That's so what, well. That's that's what people. Um, that's the reaction I get when I yeah. uh, tell them I'm a therapist. Sometimes it's yeah. like, "Well, what am I thinking right now?" Yeah, um, yeah. I, I work with a lot of um, trauma and uh, adults who have been abused mm. as children, unfortunately. Mm. And um, it's so hard uh, that they. It's so hard because trauma really actually changes the structure of our brains. Mm. So it makes it. Um, not really think of ourselves or it makes us always want to like, you know, fight or flight, like just go. And so what's hard about that is that there's not a lot of space. And I noticed with a lot of my Asian American clients, there's not a lot of space for me, like me knowing who I am. And we've talked about this before, but our humanness, like who we are, because we're always thinking, how do we survive? Mm -hmm. And so even part of this lesson of worthiness or worthlessness is taking a step back and getting acquainted with ourselves. Um, And because we didn't really have time to do that if we came from a home where there was domestic abuse or a home where there was a lot of neglect. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. It's really hard to kind of rewire our brain to a place Mm -hmm. of of, uh, abundance rather than of scarcity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a hard thing. And it's not just hard in Asian culture. And it's not just hard in... Um, difficult situations of trauma. Mm-hmm. It's even hard in, uh, here in America where oh, yeah. there's still a shame and stigma about going to counseling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have talked to friends that they don't like counseling because uh, they're, they're going to uh, mess with my emotions and thoughts and then I'm really going to be messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least yeah. that's the fear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is a risk. It is a, it's a, it's a very courageous thing to do. I think so. Well, I'm so glad that you are uh, have committed yourself to learn this practice and to help people in this way. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that we can have this conversation about how how we can help people take that step of risk and move towards healthy living and understand uh, a little bit more about how they are worth worth worthy of love and worthy of themselves in their being and not just in their doing Mm -hmm. yes definitely okay well that ends uh our episode here uh next week we're going to take a break because i'm going to be in the plane at our usual recording time but please do stay in touch with us on facebook like our page and you can watch on demand on youtube you can subscribe to us on itunes And our website is at erasingshame.com. If we can be a source of encouragement, contact us anonymously on our webpage and we can answer your questions confidentially. Or if you'd like to put your question on air, let us know. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. Bye.